Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Bradley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is, Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, it is Inside the Ropes, episode, I say this with some trepidation, 113? Yeah. Hey, uh, lovely to have you with us, Andy Murray alongside Mark Hayes, as per usual. Hello, Hello Mark Hayes. As Hello. per usual. And that's the voice of Joe Charlton, who you know very, very Hello, well. Hello Joey, welcome back. Thank you, good to be here. Feels like she's been on holiday for about six months, the, the kid. She's I have, just, I've lost my glow very quickly though. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, a couple of well, weeks in Europe, can't glowing. complain. You've got a glow about you that Hazy nor I have. So, <laughs> um, Brian McPherson's going to join us on the show a bit later on, which and, I'm always looking forward to. And Aidan Dodoni, who's got a little cracking little story to tell us too. Good. Looking forward to that. Uh, but there's a bit to get through before we get to those two. Um, who wants to lead us off this week? Who's who's got the who's got the headline item for us? I reckon let's move laterally to start with. Laterally, oh, yeah, like real it. laterally. Rebecca Madden has got a fan, a new fan, as of the last couple of weeks. I don't know whether you two have caught it, but the Ninja Warrior champ, as of last the night, TV show Ninja Warrior, the TV show, you well, know, people who wear swing around packs, and fall in the water. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they don't fall in the water if they're any, if they're any good. If they're any good, yep. Uh, and such is the case with the winner, who happens to be a 20-year-old golfer from the Mornington Peninsula, young Charlie Robbins. I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. This is the validation of the changing physique required and athletic prowess required to be a golfer. That's right. Well, he was kitted out in his underarm or even had his belt on, the old little uh, flip cap. So they really marketed him as a as as the golfer, and Luke grandpa, the duck too. Luke the duck, oh, yeah, awesome. he proudly supported challenge, which was which was great. The challenge crew were really happy to hear that, and um, he looked. Um, no offense, Charlie, and I do know Charlie. Um, he looked out of his league <laughs> completely, <laughs> out, <laughs> completely out of physically. Physically, I'm sure he's got a little six pack under that Under Armour polo, but. The other boys, he just he looked like a little school kid. Yeah. So and who is he just, Joey? He, who, who is this kid? Scratch golfer plays down at Portsea, yep. um, so lives down down Ryeway, and played a lot of junior golf. Um, that's where I've sort of met him. Played a lot of junior golf um, in Victoria Land. Uh, very very handy. Obviously did a lot of gymnastics on the side as well, which I didn't realise. Yeah, because it was literally just took me by surprise. I've never watched this show before, uh, but I had heard a whisper around town that he was coming on, and with that you sort of think, oh, you must be doing. Half decent. So, yeah, Mick and I have tuned in for the last couple of weeks. And Fantastic. sure enough, you won la- last night. So, so around the table. Sorry, well, so they packaged him up as a promotable thing, as a golfing nerd. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that's a bit ordinary. Yeah, which is probably a little bit yeah. uh, old school, traditional. That's what the perception of golf really is. Um, but no, Charlie's a, he's a great kid and I shouldn't say kid. He's 20 years old. Um, and, um, yeah, no, he was, uh, I think he, even he was a little bit shocked last night when they announced it because he, he and all the other contestants in the grand final, actually none of them completed the course. 
but they all got to a certain level within the course. So they all got to, let's say, obstacle three. Um, and because he did it in the quickest time, he then won. Um, but they announced that after the fact. They had to sort of – they built it up. Oh, um, nice to see a golfer who's not – Dog by slow play issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, that's the case. There you go. There's a message that can be spread far and wide through the Love community. It. Love it. Um, so, yeah, no, hopefully we might be able to have a chat to Charlie at some point and oh, hear a little awesome. bit more about it, the ins and outs. So, uh, question without notice around the table. Name an Australian. If we had to name one Australian pro, male or female, who could follow in Charlie's footsteps and double up for golf, go back-to-back oh. next year, who would, oh we, who would we declare oh uh, would be that Australian player who oh, needs to Aussie. go in the next edition of Ninja Warrior and fly the flag for golf? Oh, it has to Greg Norman. I reckon he'd be oh, for sure. Yeah, in the, well, in he'd the probably Masters. do it naked. Yeah, in, in the yeah. seniors version, maybe. He'd be happy to do it naked, I reckon. Um, Dimmy Papadatis. Oh, Dimmy, yeah. Dimmy Papadatis. Yeah. He's, he's He'd be keen. Genuinely big though. Like I'm not sure. He's yearning to do something where he can take the shirt off. I oh no, there's yeah, a bit don't you reckon? Yeah, that's true. That's true. And what probably was Charlie's? Um, and again, uh, no offence. Um, taken here, please, Charlie. But he was a little <laughs> bit lankier than the rest of them. Like yeah. he just had that sort of like flimsy sort, sort of gymnast style. Yeah. yeah and he was just so quick. He was unbelievable. But oh, what a female. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying female. to think of a girl. I'm, Maybe. Brett Coletta. Brett Coletta's pretty one of those yeah. young one of those young punks who does a bit of gym work, you know. He's super strong. Yeah, Brett. one of those but got the V, you know. Big v. I would have Big. thought Nathan Holman, you know, if he was still, still out going, there yeah. hacking it away, he would have been Holman and Coletta, when we were in the VIS, they could jump like their box jumps were like almost as tall as me. They could yeah, yeah, yeah. off a standing start. Wow. And That's pretty fun. impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So about yeah. one seventy centimetres, they could just just straight jump straight up. over the top yeah. of you. Yeah, that's impressive. Start. Yeah. Mm. Fair to say you and I would be no good. At um, probably not a strong <laughs> chance at the moment. Um, cheer squad. Well, that's an interesting lead. I would have thought that Brooks Kepka <laughs> might have been our lead item. Um, it's rem- Hopefully we'll talk to Brian. We'll remember to talk to Brian McPherson about this because from a player's perspective, I'd love to get uh, a take on just what this bloke, how he's able to do it, even, even if it's just speculative a reasoning behind it. But what he's able to do is the switch on, switch off it's mechanism ridiculous. is phenomenal. Uh, yeah. It's really hard to comprehend how any elite athlete can switch it on and off at at their behest. You mm. know, it's not he's he's won more majors than regular tour titles. It's it's almost unthinkable. Mm. So um you know, the WGC, is it worthy? Clearly it is because Brooks tried. It's a big, you know it's a, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean mm. I, I, you know, the the whole scheduling of it is a totally different matter. But that's for another day. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, it is a big event, big money, big prizes. He also won that uh, sort of season long thing that the the risk reward challenge that they put mm. in. So he actually pocketed. Is it a couple of million or something? Four and a half million it, US yeah. he pocketed for the week. So um, look, it's not. Uh, I, I like that he's honest enough to talk about it openly in press conferences and say I don't care about the Mickey Mouse Open. Mm. But it sort of throws massive question marks over what other players are doing, and the uh, I guess is he that good? Where does he finish with majors? I don't know. Well, you you're prepared to bowl up a number. Yeah, I reckon he can get to twelve. Mm. I honestly reckon he can get to twelve majors. I, uh, that's a I can't believe that for for me to say that for someone who's di- hadn't won one, what, what two, a bit over two, two years, years ago, ago now, to think that they could win twelve. And I actually I'm. 
I'm fairly comfortable in that because I think provided he stays fit and I think motivated, mm. that's probably the key for him. Um, why wouldn't he win one a year for five years? And that'll get him to nine. Uh, and then from there, it's just cream. I, still, it's a big, mm. another three, you know, is a, is another uh, Hall of Fame career. But why not? What, 12? What do you think? It's hard to, I mean, I've got no idea, to be honest, but you look at his last 10, just look at his last 10 events. Yep. There have been four majors and two WGC events in there, right? So in those six tournaments, he's finished first, tie fourth, second, first, tie second, and fifth, tie 56th in the most, other than the one he won on the weekend, the previous WGC event. Compare that with the four PGA Tour events that he's played in that 10 tournament streak, 65th, Tie 57th, tied 50, <laughs> and fourth. So the fourth was an accident. He, no, he, that, yeah. I don't know how that bobbed up. That's a complete outlier. Yeah. And he would have been ashamed of himself yeah, finishing fourth in a PJ Tour yeah. event. I think it might have been the Byron Nelson. So it was actually one of the more historic. I think it was the Byron Nelson. I should go back. and, But I think it was one of the more kind of storied tournaments on the PGA you know, schedule. Yep. But it, that, that just underlined. That's his last 10 tournaments yeah. that he's played in. <laughs> That underlines in an absolute snapshot of his ability to turn it on and just get around. I think I think it all sort of um, comes back to the scheduling a little bit. I, I maybe we touch on it later, but Colin Morikawa wins the Barracuda, and that's unbelievable. an unbelievable story within itself. And we will come back to it. But that it holds the same importance as a, a Byron Nelson, for example, mm. is is patently ridiculous, and and clearly. Um, the top players base their schedules around tapering for majors and WGCs now. So I think it's almost a grain of salt time that some of those smaller events, unfortunately. It's mm. not to diminish Colin Morikawa, but it's fascinating what the schedule is doing to mm. people. It really it is. It really is. Mm. Yeah. Uh, do you want to, on that, Yeah. here we are, we're reaching the, you know, we, we, we've got through the the major cycle now and we're getting to this, it feels like just a mad rush now to finish it. Just get it all done. Like, you know, yeah, it does. And we, yeah, we, right. we didn't quite know what it was going to feel like. I think there were a lot of people saying, oh, this is a great, you know, step in the right direction. Golf's going to have clean air before football starts in America and blah, blah. But now it just feels like, come on, hurry up. Let's get it finished. Mm. You know, yeah. there's a sense of that, right? Absolutely. And I think um, it's probably heightened by the two women's majors. One last week we'll talk about and one this week that we'll talk about. Um, but definitely on the men's side, the, uh, the jam-packed nature of mm. get on a plane from Royal... Portrush, back to Memphis, jam that one in, do something that this week is, um, is it the, I forget the name of it, Wyndham, which used to be yeah. a, a, a web, uh, FedEx Cup playoff event, but now not. So that's uh, been diminished in everyone's importance. Uh, now then three finals, bang, 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 yeah. you know, yeah. and, and it's yeah. sort of like, holy cow, this is, this season's just getting completely away. Because we all know the big guns don't really come out to, to fire until March, mm. like in the lead up towards, well, it might change to late February with the players, but basically before the Masters is when they're getting fair income. Mm. It does seem like it's jammed in, I, I, you know, historically anyhow. Um, and and it, it really puts a question mark, therefore, the extension of this is what are we actually going to be watching from September the 1st through until when it trickles into our own backyard in mm. December? Mm. You know, are they going to be worth watching? Got to be a big question mark. So the back-to-back majors on the women's side of the game, this just feels clunky. It feels 
awkward. It feels like it's diminishing one or both, I reckon, having no lead time between the two of them. I mean, they're still, they are still what they are. I mean, clearly, they're still worth winning. But to have no space, clean air between the two just doesn't, it just, on any measure, doesn't feel right. No, I think you're spot on. And I think the players sort of have reiterated that a little bit last week. I remember, I think it was, I think it was Justin, he was interviewing Suo and he sort of asked that question. She sort of said in a roundabout way, yeah, I've got to get, still get my sort of head around it. Like it's sort of, here we are at Evian, what a great spot, what a beautiful spot, enjoy this and then soak it up and then straight on to the traditional sort of British Open links, which um, everyone loves so dearly. So yes, I think they are what they are and they're mm. of course majors and everyone, they're the prized tournaments of, of, of the, of the year. But yeah, it is, I quite like the sort of the spaced element of the PGA as it has this year, despite the fact that we're getting, we're now saying that we're getting to the point now where we're going, oh, let's hurry along. We're we're done. Kaput, um, Mm. all the big stuff's done now. Um, but we've still got the FedEx and how many million dollars that's going to be, um, splashed around. And no, I think, yeah, there's a bit of a balancing act. So in your day job, Joe, when you're now, What's your actual title? Opens Senior Manager. Okay. So in that capacity with Golf Australia, you've learned no doubt a truckload in the last couple of years about the scheduling around the Vic Open and the Women's Australian Open primarily. Mm. What are the pressures that we're unaware of mm. uh, that, that necessitate Evian and Women's British Open being jammed in together? Well, I think are you talking about from an Australian perspective. No, I think a global perspective because it seems to me like it's just we're in Europe. We may as well get two in there quick and then to get back. Um, oh, how do I comment about that? I think... Didn't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, like you know, you have, you have put me on the spot a little bit. I think with a lot of these scheduling things, like things change very... Like Vic Open, say, we uh, were plugged in quite quickly at last minute. A lot of it's sort of corporate dollars and depending on where things are coming, that um, events sort of get plugged in here and here and there. Um, it what maybe... From the LPGA's perspective, they really predominantly play in the in the US. Maybe there is an element where they go, yeah, we're going to Europe. Let's, let's kill two birds with one one stone. Not, Our not, players will prefer that. Yeah, not keep them there for too long. So yeah, there are costs with uh, travel costs associated with the players when they travel outside of America. Quite significant costs. So there's a potential or not by the players. Uh, no, the the um, tournament organisers contribute towards um, all of the players' travel. So there would be a shared costing from an operational perspective that uh, they potentially are sort of looking at that Evian and the British Open could be sort of part sharing. I, I don't know that, but I'm yeah, just um, yeah, yeah. from my from my experience. And um, so that from a European perspective and from an Australian perspective, it's it's always it's just bloody hard because we're so far far away. Mm. We're plugged into that Asian swing uh, of events, which helps in some capacity because they mm. can come out here before that Asian swing. But that Asian swing offers probably a little bit more than what we do because there's the no cut element. So there's free cash, um, travels getting paid for, whereas the Vic Open and the Women's Open are you you you, you pay your way mm. to um, um for a, a bank check so. Just lightening the question for a minute, Andy, just but on logistically uh, topical issues. Did you hear about, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday lunchtime, did you hear about what happened with um, Lexi Thompson's passport? Uh, no, I don't believe I did. Um, Lexi Thompson was one of 38, I believe, players who jammed their bags into a 
removalist fan by the guy. The guy's name was Ian Wright, who was actually Seve Ballesteros' caddy back in the day. Yep. And his job was to package 38 golf bags and their, their contents, get them from Evian to Woburn, um, which is oh. halfway between London and Birmingham. And apparently, well, not apparently, this what this is what happened. Lexi Thompson, who had a stinker of a week, by the way, and we might talk yeah. about that in Evian in a second, but um, left her passport in the dark depths of her <laughs> golf bag, was stopped at Geneva Airport, the, unable to fly, obviously, to London, uh, had the, phone, the urgent phone call go out to this Ian Wright character who was halfway through, uh, I think he was in Switzerland still, um, but not too far, about half an hour up the road from Geneva Airport. And he, he, he basically had to rifle, unpack the entire truck. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> find the bag, gave it to Lexi's caddy who drove up the highway in a taxi, uh, repacked the thing. Three hours later, it took him three hours to unpack and repack, hooned up the highway to uh, where the channel is or the, fer- the ferry rather, yeah. where the ferry goes across and missed his ferry booking. So consequently had to stay overnight in France, didn't get, so he goes across in the morning, gets all the nasty traffic going through London and gets to Woburn at five o'clock the next day, at which time 38 women and their caddies <laughs> absolutely poleaxed him for having their stuff there nine hours Jesus. late and they missed the practice round. So there are issues. <laughs> you sort of good feel, yarn. you feel a bit for him, don't you? I mean, he's, oh, he's yeah. been crucified yeah, by Lexi. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a it, there are issues that we don't really think about it, and just you know lightening up the load on Joey. Didn't mean to throw you under the bus there, Joey. Just, no, it's interesting. no, no, it's no, interesting because no, no. she had a bit of a stinker at Evian, and um, basically along the lines of blaming everything else but herself for her performance. But that instance, I'm sure she probably could have just taken the blame. She'll feel oh, yeah, she, and she did on that <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she she felt badly, and I, the, but some of the players, um, I think. Is it, I'm not sure if it's Ryan or Rianne. Ryan O'Toole. Ryan, I believe, yeah. Ryan O'Toole um, apparently had her sticks misplaced um, on the way to Evian as well. And she's she's one of the 38 players and she's huge. Occupational hazard, right? I mean, this is this is not unprecedented in the world of professional sport and particularly no. in the world of pro golf that, yeah. you know, wear them at clubs. Yeah. No, it's hard oh, they're, hard in, yeah <laughs> they're somewhere else in the world right now. They got on the wrong flight. Um, Australians from... Uh, from those two tournaments, Mark Leishman probably the most noteworthy out of the Evian field and and the boys at the WGC event. Yeah, definitely, um, yep. and a, and a really solid bounce back from Royal mm. Portrush. I think mm. we thought probably that he and Adam Scott would have been better performed at the Open Championship. Um, he's quickly put that to rest, and a third place there not only gets him a good check and and puts him in a really good spot for the FedEx Cup playoffs. But it also almost locks him into the top two, at least, um, of the international team's standings for the President's Cup. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And I think Cameron Smith, who did really well also, mm. um, not a great third round, but a really good fourth round, finished 12th um, in Memphis, or a share of 12th. That did enough to get him up to, I think, I want to say sixth or maybe seventh in the President's Cup standings which again pretty much puts a lock on him. Mm. And I think that there's no way Ernie Else doesn't pick Jason Day, regardless of form right now. So that's four Aussies with mm. Adam Scott mm. in the top eight. Um, that's a good, that's strong a hand, great hand yeah. for Australia to play yeah. in the President's Cup yeah. and, and should be music to the ears of people who are considering buying tickets. Yeah, and unlike the um, all-star pre-World Cup basketball tournament Ugh. event where Ugh. all of the big names are on the promotional material but Enough. they're never any chance of turning up, <laughs> 
when you see these faces on the promotional material of the President's Cup, they'll be turning up. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so don't be afraid of that. Um, I, I think that from the Australian perspective at, at Evian, um, do you want to talk about Evian yeah, and I the think... difficulty of the course? I think for, we'll give Minji the best example of this. It's a course that just doesn't suit everyone's eye. I think that's the nicest way I can say say it. Lexi Thompson's absolutely slated it, and then she withdrew it and apologised. But Minji Lee missed the cut. That mm. never happens, no. especially at a key event. So she um, was the only one out of the five. Yeah. So which was I think was a great result. Yeah. And Greeny tied thirtieth. I think it was tied thirtieth, which was I think a great great effort on her debut as a as a major champion because that comes with a certain element of she had to grind new, away new pressure. Too. She didn't start the tournament well, so she had to yeah. dig pretty deep. You know, mm. yeah. She had. She, I actually went through this. This is a bizarre exercise I did yesterday. My my brain. She was actually an eclectic score for her four rounds, thirteen under on that course. Right. Uh, that was her best really? best four mm. best performance best score on, each on each hole. hole yeah. Mm. So she's made like two eagles, a truckload of birdies, um, but just mm, doubles with rusty and... with three doubles mm. and and a, and her third round I think in particular had six bogeys in it. And not mm. that she had a horrendous score because she had plenty of birdies, mm. but. Just a little bit of rust. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think 30th was a good effort considering those things. It's been so dry over there. So they were talking a lot about the difficulty and the slopes and then subsequently the hard slopes and what that sort of uh, brings into your game. And then watching a little bit of the uh, Sunday affair was <laughs> complete opposite. The balls were almost pluggy in the fairway. Mm. It was so wet. So don't, I think the Aussies, would, they'd, they'd all be pretty comfortable. Other than Minji will yeah be rightfully disappointed with that. She... um. I don't think she'll dwell on it too long, though. Just another week, isn't it? Andy, I'm going to throw you under the bus uh, this time because, you know, normally the shoe's on the other foot, but why why not? (laughs) Why not? Your thoughts on Evian as a as a they can't get it right venue Mm. as a date as a. I don't like I don't like the whole I don't like the notion of um, a corporate buy-in to justify a major championship. I just don't like it. I don't, I don't like, I understand money drives the industry. Mm. Um, I'm a bit sketchy on the origins, the actual very early days of the origins of this tournament. But my understanding is that, you know, the brand wanted, you know, top billing and this is a way of getting it, give it the sort of status that it's been afforded. I don't like it. Um, but they can't get the tournament right. They can't get the timing of it right. They can't get the placement of it right. Um, we always end up talking about it for all the wrong reasons rather mm-hmm. than the right reasons. Um, Joanna Clatton apparently yeah. on, on Twitter has had a because there's been big uh, negative feedback as you uh, intimated there. Joanna Clatton, a former Vic Open champion from France, uh, has had a bit of a lash back at people saying, "If you don't like it, don't come." Yeah, well, <laughs> it's typically French. <laughs> yeah. I love that, but yes, yeah, you know, you're there right. are some great courses in France. Well, no mm. one doesn't want to go to France. They oh, probably Lake Geneva. Oh, yeah. my goodness, um, oh, beautiful. Just you know, beautiful. So, what do you two think, quickly, before? We... Oh, I don't. Oh, well, the, the women's majors don't have the same history. tradition and history as the men's. That's, but and maybe in time they will. But they haven't because. Subsequent buy-ins, maybe, maybe they need to bite the bullet and say, "Yeah, majors are the historic ends yeah. of the sport, and let's just stick to our guns, and then everything else can be, you know, bigger WGCV." I'm not against the women's having a fifth major per se. I, I don't. It shouldn't necessarily be made to follow the men's tour. I'm not down that camp at all. But I'm men's, women's, whatever. I'm absolutely adamant that the 
the major championship should be played on the best courses. Mm. Mm. And that one, that one wouldn't be in the top 200 courses in Australia. Mm. Mm. It may not be in the top 100 courses in New South Wales. Mm. And it's holding a major championship. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, that, that strikes me as patently wrong. Yeah. Mm. Um, we need to get a break. Brian McPherson about to join us. But you did mention a name, just, just quickly, so we don't forget it. Colin Morikawa, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about Matthew Wolfe and the world got a bit fizzy about Matthew Wolfe for all of the right reasons. Um, but the kid that ran third in that tournament on the other side of Wolfe and DeChambeau was Colin Morikawa. If you had have seen, if you had have watched the tournament that day, you would have been unbelievably impressed by this yep. kid. Um, he's had seven starts on the PJ Tour now. He's had three as a pro. He's yet to miss the cut. He's gone tie 64, tie 14, tie 35, tie 36, tie 2, tie 4, 1. This is wow. an unbelievable mm. start to his career. Three starts as a pro, tied second, tied fourth, first. The world needs to watch out. Yeah. This kid That's is great. a real player. I mean, a really, you know, you can just see it. Yeah. None of, oh, I'm not a technician, but you know, when you watch a, a gamer, yeah. as they like to say in America, this kid makes three birdies in the last three holes to win that tournament. I mean, he stepped up when he had to, and there's something a bit special about him. He's not as funky as Wolf, but he's every bit of every bit of player. Um, so there's that, another one to I agree. And they've come out of college together, mm. just like we saw at um, at Evian with Capcho and and um, mm. what's the Mexican girl, Sassy? Uh, uh, Fassi. Fassi. Yeah. I mean, they're gonna they they already have pushed each other, and mm. they will continue. I think that's yeah. important. We should mention Andy before we get ready for Bryden. Jin Young Ko back oh, at Of Evian. course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. a, a stunning oh. performance on Sunday, like just mm. unbelievable in, in terrible conditions and pressure and stuff like that. And she pants them. She's just so error proof. Like she just yeah. doesn't make mistakes. And that's like, so why going into the British Open next week, I think you could put your money on her again. Like she's won two majors this year. She had four wins in two and a half years on the LPGA. Like she was playing in career prior to that where she had 10 victories. Yeah, <laughs> we hadn't heard of her at that point. Then yeah. she came and won the Australian Open and subsequently having an absolute belter of a year this year, yeah. world number one now. Um, and, yeah, I would put my money on her around Warburn, most certainly. And she's back. I didn't realise this. I was having a look at my stats. I've been a bit of a nerd this week. <laughs> um, she was runner-up in 2015 when no one had heard of her. Yes, yeah, she was. Women's British Open. Um, she's okay. a, she's, this isn't going to daunt her at Warburn. Mm. From an Australian perspective this week, we add Kari Webb back to the mix. Um, she spent a lot of time with the Australian women's cricket team. They're all conquering yeah, stuff, all yeah. stars, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> and she loves the cricket and that's great. And the girls love her. So um, big week for Kari and the rest of the Aussie contingent. But um, at a great course, apparently, according to Clates, Woburn. Mm. I don't know too much about it, to be perfectly honest. I know. I haven't played it either, but I have done a quick little bit of research on online. And it has hosted the British Open 10 times. So I do recall watching it um, a little bit. It's not your typical links. It's not going to look like Portrush. Mm -hmm. It's sort of an, they call it the Augusta of the UK. Oh. I don't know how Augusta would take to that, but <laughs> it's basically big pines that uh, sort of shape mm. the fairway. So a straight hitter off the tee, um, you could probably bank bank them in. But yeah, no, it looks looks like a great facility. It's got three courses. They're playing on the newest called the Marques, I think it was. Yep. Yeah, Marques course. And if you're talking about Brooks Kepke, Andy, coming up for big events and as Joey just pointed out with Jin Young Ko, she's won Evian, ANA, A and the Founders Cup, which is mm. you know the, the, that's the next one under the majors in the women's game of, in terms of importance on the LPGA Tour. Yeah. 
bang, bang, bang. Yeah, Big she's going okay. Player. She's going okay. I'll get a break out of the way. It is Inside the Ropes. Brian McPherson to join us next. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. Sir, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Lovely to have you here on Inside the Ropes, and um, it's been a couple of weeks since we last caught up. In fact, it's longer than that. I don't know how long it's been since we caught up with Brian McPherson. It'll be a couple we, of months. Well, now. we always promise regular irregularity, and we're delivering. That is that is our mantra and our motto. We are living uh, living to it, uh, but it is with great joy uh, that we say welcome to you, Brian McPherson. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. We never know where you are. We always know that you're a long way away. Um, whereabouts are you at the moment? Uh, I'm in Kansas City. I stopped in here because I played the Corn Ferry event Springfield, Missouri last week on a sort of last-moment exemption sponsor's invite. So I came from China, Guangzhou, the week before and, and, and flew in and, and uh, played the Corn Ferry last week. And, um, and I'm heading back to Florida tomorrow morning for a couple of weeks off after 11 weeks on the road. So when you say a late call-up, how late exactly was it? It wasn't that late. It was late as far as sponsors exemptions go when you're in China. Yeah. So it was about three weeks ago okay. um, that I got that I got a text message. But again, I was in China and had planned to come to Melbourne for a week and then come back and play the event in Guangzhou. So I could decide whether or not I was going to come back to Florida for two weeks and try and do like quote unquote perfect preparation and then just show up and play golf, which is that's the best possible thing you can do do perfect prep and then just show up and hit the ball um but the worst thing you can do is try and do perfect prep and then show up and be all stressed out so i opted to just keep going and just keep playing and then just show up and play golf and it seemed like it was going to work because i shot 65 in the first round but then you know all the air came out of the fairy tale and ended up about 60th but that's okay happened You've been going pretty well before we get into the philosophies of McPherson that you've become famous for on this show, Bron. Um, you've, been, you've, you've been going really well on the course. I mean, it's been a pretty solid few months in China. You've got some great results. Yeah, it's been, it's been solid. It's, um, it's getting difficult playing against Maverick every week because he's doing so well. And, uh, but, oh, I mean, obviously very proud of him. We room together quite a lot and he's, he's grown a lot as a golfer um, and it's, it's good to see him him doing well. I just wish I wasn't in the field when he was doing well. Um, but it's it's great, you know, and uh, I've been playing better. It's getting progressively better. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a really long journey. You never know when it's going to click for you. But um, I'm ready for it to click whenever it does. Before we um, leave Maverick Ancliffe, the man you're talking about, what's clicked for him? Why, why is he, you know, so awesome right now it's a great question um mav's always had really really good ball control uh he's not an overly long hitter um sorry if you're listening mav but you know <laughs> the truth he's uh he said he's got amazing control over his over his ball and i've i've spent some time with him on the range and the way he thinks that is striking and shapes and things like that it's really quite artistic and uh he never really had that with the stuff inside of about 20 or 30 yards 
and I think since working with, uh, I think he, he switched over to Grant Fields with Cam Smith, Cam Smith's coach, and uh, I think he started to kind of take that same attitude to um, to his short game and his putting, and uh, and he's currently doing you know what they say he's supposed to do, which is hit the fairway, hit the green, and hold the putt, and he's doing that more often than he's not doing it by the, by the looks of it. So um, you know he's in a nice spot at the moment with his game and with his flow and, and we'll see um, the, the key is to keep it there because, you know, you can't keep it there forever. So you just try and keep it there for as long as you can. And rooming with him and being around him um, obviously probably gives you a, a lot of confidence. It's sort of similar to the, the Greeny case. I know a lot of the girls have taken a lot of confidence out of her victory. Uh, they spoke a lot about that last week in, in France. Does it, has it given you a little stare along? Yeah, I mean, Mav's quite a, a, a bit younger than, than I, so it's kind of a strange thing to be stirred along by someone younger than you, but you are right. It's um, it's it's a, well, if they can do it, I can do it too type of attitude. And I think that's what you're talking about with uh, Hannah's win as well. And I just think it's, when someone does it who you know, I think that that is just a... Um, uh, a confirmation that it's that it's possible and that these people are still human beings um, and they're still just doing the same things that you're doing, just probably slightly more consistently. And I think uh, it's never really that far away, which I think is that kind of sliver of hope that nine out of ten professional golfers live their life with. <laughs> at most uh, mate, we want to... Right there. Right there. Yeah. but uh and i think and that's what brings us back to the course you know there's that old joke like you hit it down the fairway on the last time they are that'll bring me back next week and you know it's a joke but it's true <laughs> you know? yeah. it's that we kind of chase that that never-ending prize because as soon as you win there's something else again right there but it's it's always fun to see people that you know um people that you know achieving those things and uh you know, I don't really know Hannah that well, but it was really, really cool to see her get that get that win done. I think I've watched that putt to win that she had, um, you know, like 25 times because I just love how nonchalant she was about it. It looked so like, easy. Oh, <laughs> I put it to win. I'll just, yeah. just put it in the hole there. It's fine. <laughs> and I thought that was really, really cool. I think that's great to hear that from, you know, wherever you are in the world because you do jet set that, you know, I, that really inspires me to hear you say that. Yeah. Uh, Mate, we're going to take you down controversy corner because that's that's what you do so beautifully. Uh, there's there's a lot of issues swirling around in the game of professional golf at the moment. Um, Andy, I'm not sure which one you want to take him down oh, first, but yeah. we'd love to hear your thoughts on on things like uh, we 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 gave or I gave JB Holmes a fair pasting last week um, about pace of play, and he's not alone. I don't single him out in the sense that he's the only person on tour doing it, but right now he's the face of it. Uh, you know that we've uh, potted him in the uh, in the uh, banister files here before. Uh, what what's your thoughts on pace of play and the responsibility? If I'm, I don't want to lead the witness, but the responsibility of tours to do something about it. It's an interesting question, and uh, any of the pros that have played with me or behind me for a lot of my years will think that this is funny that you're asking me this question because I've always been a slow player, and it's always something that I've hated about my game and it's something that I wish that I could have that I could do better and it's something that I'm trying to do better and I am doing it better now 
um, for a long time. I had I had drilled into me for a long time about this kind of perfectionist routine process, and I was unable to pull the trigger until I felt like I did a good routine, and that would take a minute, and it was terrible, and it was it was a really bad feeling um, being on like the JB Hunt side of this argument because I agree that a fast game is a good game, and I think that playing instinctually, you'll always play better than playing carefully. And you can't play instinctually and slowly. Um, those are oxymorons. So uh, I think that the tours have a responsibility um, to decide. I don't know what the answer is to the question, but they have a, they have a responsibility to decide whether or not it's up to them to limit uh, or sorry, or to, to say that players need to have a certain length process in order to be within the rules. And they have to decide whether or not to enforce that. Because at the moment, it's kind of this kind of gray area where they say, oh, you get 40 seconds to hit a shot, 50 seconds if you're the first to hit. But no one really knows when that timing starts. There's no clear thing. It's, it's different for the rules visual. It's timing people. And so they haven't, it's, they're kind of, being a little wishy-washy with it and I think they just need to decide whether or not they're going to enforce it and if they're not going to enforce it then they should say that too oh, um, but I think events like the Shot Spot Masters they had last year in Austria I think are a really good innovation and the European Tour are much better at timing guys than the PGA Tour are um, but I think it's up to the tours to decide whether or not they're going to actually enforce it or not I don't know what the right answer is. I prefer to play faster. I wish I could play faster. Um, and I'm trying to play faster. But I think that rounds under four hours are better than rounds over five hours. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think it stands to reason. Oh, I, it's really interesting you hear, you, you just said all that because I, um, I had a chat with someone who needs to remain nameless about the responsibilities of the tour. And I'm talking about the PGA Tour. And, it, and the implication was that Jay Monaghan, the boss of that tour really doesn't think it's damaging their brand. Oh. Um, so the so the corp the, well the corp really? the corporate side of things isn't being damaged whether it's a 4 hour 43 minute round or a 6 hour and 7 minute round it doesn't really affect their bottom line so they're mm-hmm. not com- they don't feel compelled to to act um, whereas mm-hmm. from a uh, I guess a governing body's point of view you know it clearly stifles the game and, and diminishes the appeal on television at least well, and, and and it's it's it, you know I I I'm, I would implore them to act based on the fact that you're killing the game as opposed to you're not damaging the bottom line. Leave it alone. So Bryden, before you respond to that, let me add another layer to what Hazy's just said. And unless you want to chime in as well, Joe, there's this thing happening at the moment, Bryden, and you too, and we've seen it in the last couple of weeks where athletes um, in various sports are starting to take matters into their own hands and. You know, I don't know whether you saw Mac Horton over at the World Swimming Championships, but he and then Duncan Scott, the Scottish swimmer, decided to you know make their th- thoughts and feelings well known about Sun Yang. And on the twelfth hole at Port Rush, we saw Brooks Kepka um, make a you know quite a strong statement about playing with JB Holmes. And it's really interesting he, hearing you say it, Bryden. Are you when you when you've been aware of the fact that you've been slow have you ever felt you know fellow players and competitors of yours um trying to apply a bit of pressure to speed things up because if 
if those in charge of the sports don't take these matters into their own hands, then sooner or later players will. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I still think that the etiquette surrounding professional golf is um, overpowers anything of that sort. I mean, it's not uh, a fellow player um, sort of hurrying up his competitor is still quite a taboo thing. Um, and, I, and I think that it ultimately has to come down to the officials. And it's more so that it's more so that I think what I've experienced, and I've actually done this as well, is like players requesting that their group get put on the clock um, mm-hmm. is probably the nearest thing that, the, that you can do as a player that is still, quote-unquote, respectful of your fellow competitors. Um, because then all you're doing is you're just putting a shot clock on the group. And I think that that's... I've done that before to guys who are incredibly slow. Um, and I've... And I've, and I've played with guys who have welcomed being on the clock when I was a lot slower and I have not welcomed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's such a, uh, there's still the individual aspect to golf of people taking different amounts of time to process the same information. So like uh, hitting a shot is different for everyone um, in the amount of time that it takes them to come to a conclusion but there still needs to be a like a line in the sand if you want to call it where they say this is the cutoff and that's why i think the shot clock masters is pretty good you know because that's like a everyone's on the clock all the time and it's fair because everyone gets their 40 seconds or whatever Mm. and then i think it's a nice standardized way to play it but there's still lots of players take a lot less than 40 seconds so guys can still be deliberate and still, uh, and still be within the rules. I don't know. It's a really hard question because, you know, lots of guys have earned their ability and, and until playing slow is wrong, you can't really say that someone hasn't earned their, their right to play on the PGA Tour um, just because they're slow. So it's kind of an interesting thing. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know the answer. It doesn't feel like we're getting any we're closer to a universal, universally accepted solution. Re, yeah, resolution to this. I feel like we're still searching for something here. What would you say though, Bryden, if, if, you know, if your routine was 52 seconds, for example, um, whatever that means. Yeah. What would you say if that... It was a long time. Well, what, what is it now, by the way? It's probably closer to about a little under 20, right on 20. Okay, well, that's, that's awesome from our perspective. Um, what would you say if you're in the 52-second groove but you're in also in the groove of the form of your life um, and you couldn't care less what anyone thought about it, you were now 1,200 Augusta? Yeah, that, that again, is that's where I kind of have a different opinion to some people because um, I think the benefit of the doubt should always go to the field, not to the player. So um, unless, if you're... if you know, if you're taking 52 seconds to hit every shot, just for example, and you're leading a tournament, you're breaking the rules, you know, and like that kind of, uh, and I, and I thought that way as well when I was taking 52 seconds as well, I didn't feel good about it, but I, I didn't know how to do it any other way. I had to relearn how to do it a different way. And I think that, um, you know, when it comes down to it, you've got to play by the rules. And there is a timing rule. It is a thing. We do have time paths. 
we do have all this stuff, but I think it's just a matter of the tours enforcing it because you're right, that blatant disregard for the rules, which is what it is, if you are consistently over the time period and you're leading Augusta by five, then, well, you you actually you actually have an unfair advantage, don't you? Because you're taking extra time that maybe the other guys don't need, but they also don't get. So, um, like I said, there needs to be a line in the sand and they just need to enforce the rules they already have because the rules they already have are fine. They just need to really, like, you know, start giving guys penalties. I think it's it's very multifaceted. You've attacked it from a totally different angle yeah. than, than I would have ever because I'm probably very black and white um, and sort of reiterating what you've just said is that it is what it is. It's the 40 seconds. It's the 50 seconds. It's That's your time limit. Just stick to it. So it should be black and white but you've you've presented in a really really interesting way um that brings a whole bunch of different angles um and arguments into it i'm interested to ask one one more question from me so you've gone from 52 to 20 seconds what have you what have you done to Hmm. (laughs) what have you done to do that yeah well you know the black and white answer joe is to just take less time (laughs) Um, so what have you taken out like what what part of your routine or are you thinking about your shot as you're walking into your shot so you've already sort of nailed down that you what sort of iron you're hitting in or what 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 part of you you fast tracked so i've definitely streamlined the way that i go through a process of selecting a shot um where i'll kind of go through a what's the raw number you know is the miss long oh sorry what's the raw number then you know what's the wind what's the and then kind of distill that down nice and quickly into a number and then if i'm if it's a good club then it's that's the club but if it's a if i'm in between then i'll decide whether or not short is better than long or long is better than short and choose the appropriate club on either side of the in-between number and i can do all that sort of in a couple of seconds Mm -hmm. and that is streamlined for me I also stopped worrying about trying to make perfect practice swings because yeah. there's no point in a perfect practice swing because you want to do a good swing, not a good practice swing. <laughs> and then I let go of the um, what felt like a real kind of mental cage that I had around myself of this, uh, this like... Um, unbreakable link between a good routine and a good shot. Mm. Um, and I just, and I worked and worked and let go of that because, and now as long as I have an idea about the shot that I'm trying to play and I can feel what the shot should feel like when I'm over the ball, I know I'm giving myself the best chance of, uh, of hitting a good shot regardless of all the other stuff that I've done. Um, and so Doing that, I was able to cut out most of what I was doing and pretty much just get in and hit the shot. Um, and it feels really fast now to me, and it's now it's just normal. And it's not affecting the way you play, like the, the it t- shouldn't. No, it shouldn't. No, like I said, I think I think over the long run, I'll play better. Yeah, great. Playing intensely. How long um, has it taken you to transition from fifty-two to to twenty? How long did that take to ingrain? Because uh, I'd imagine that like that instinctiveness. Um, probably should come naturally. That's what the word instinctive means. <laughs> but when you've trained such a way for yeah, such a right. long time, yeah, yeah. it's hard to train yourself out of that sort of thought. It is. It is. You have to. You have to let go um, of having, like I said, like that kind of 
reliance on doing a good routine in order to hit a good shot, um, which is just, just a crutch, you know, because if you believe that you can hit a shot, you can hit a shot regardless of what the situation is. Um, but I started fighting the battle when I first got on the web full-time in 2015, and the rules officials would kind of every sort of four events would be like, hey, you know, Brian, can you please hurry up? Mm. <laughs> and uh, so what's that, three and a half years? four and a half years. Um, it's kind of been a thing that I've just been constantly trying to chip it down. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's been a project for me. But I knew that my longevity as a player and just the way that I am as a person, it's different for everyone. I'm the kind of person that I don't love to know that people have a problem with me. That's kind of just one of my own things. And so to know that most of the guys in the field don't like the fact that I'm slow. It's kind of a tough thing for me to show up to an event uh, dealing with. Yeah, that's, so yeah. I knew that if I was going to be in the game for a long time, that I had to change that. Mm. So we've done a really, that's look, some of the things that you've revealed about yourself in all of this, which is always a fascination to me to a year. We, we've done an unbelievable deep dive into this, probably to the, point that we're going to lose it leave another couple of issues on the cutting room floor here but thanks for being so frank with all with with us about all of those issues that you you never had to you've kind of decided you want to address in your own game so just flipping it around we've already spoken about Brooks Kepka um can you can you presume to know what he goes through in terms of his own mental application and ability to play the kind of bigs, uh, whether they be you know majors or WGC events, in a different kind of zone uh, to the one that he exists in when he's playing rank and file tour events. Can can you can you somehow take us somewhere into the psyche of Brooks Kepka if that's at all possible, and tell us how he does that? I'm so glad you asked this question because I was just talking about this today with someone. Um, I think Brooks is. I've known Brooks for a while. We played like amateur golf together um and we played some LA pro stuff together and and he's always been a really confident guy like we used to work out together for a while as well when he was working with um the trainer that I still work with uh maybe like three years or so we worked out together so I get to spend a bit of time with him and he is um is really impressive but it's in a really uh different way to what we assume most athletes are impressive like he is a um, he is like a brick wall uh, when it comes to things getting to him because he believes in his ability so wholeheartedly that he doesn't care about the um, day-to-day results, which is a new level of self-belief because I think a lot of people attach self-belief to wanting to do well all of the time and thinking you can do well all of the time. Brooks has this fantastic balance of self-confidence on such a level that he knows that eventually it's going to work for him. And eventually he's going to hit lots of good shots and eventually he's going to win a bunch of majors. So it doesn't matter that he's just shot one over today. And that is a amazing level of confidence. Um, I thought what he said in the press conference that it, it's gotten a bit of coverage that he said during the Open when he, what he said about his practice habits, when he said he doesn't practice for regular tour events. And uh, 
I think one of the greatest quotes I think I've heard in the golf world in the last 30 years, the golf you see me playing on TV is the golf I'm playing. That's it. Yeah, right. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But, um, and I think a lot of people construe that as arrogance. Uh, but having known Brooks for a while and being sort of living in a similar area in him and, and, and knowing about his habits and stuff, he's just telling the truth. And he doesn't care that people think that it sounds wrong. And I think that's kind of refreshing. And I would, I would propose a question that I don't have an answer to is that is he the first person to win, you know, what, four majors in or three majors in however many stars? So is he the first person to have these kind of results in big events by not practicing? Or is he the first one to admit it? So have all of the previous great players been so obsessed with creating a facade about their undying work ethic that maybe maybe they weren't being truthful about it because if Brooks is able to beat all these guys by practicing, by not practicing and practicing is what's most important then how true can that be? Is he that good or is practicing not that important? So that's that's an interesting like thing that a thing that he's thrown into the mix. I think he's the first world class player to admit that he doesn't care about anything except for the majors, and that he does, and he's not practicing for the sake of practicing when he's not getting ready to win a major. And I think that's something that is new. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Bryden, and, it's, it's, and it's my. And, it's really easy to quantify major championship victories, and we see, you know, Jack with eighteen and Tiger with fifteen now. Mm. I've got to get used to yeah, saying that. Yeah. Uh, it also, presumably, in the world of confidence, you would have those two, and maybe Bobby Jones in the history of golf as being arguably the most confident, self-confident players. Where is Brooks yeah. on that? Where, I mean, is, where it, is Brooks it, on that list? It's hard, it's hard to quantify self-confidence. It absolutely um, is. But where would you put Brooks Kepka on that list? If if Jack and Tiger are you know, a hundred. Bobby Jones, who we don't really know, obviously, yeah, is, to, yeah, is yeah. in that sort of um, realm. Where would you put Brooks Kepka from your dealings? Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, how confident was Tiger in his ability um, when he was changing swings? Like, was he changing coaches because he felt that no coach could help him achieve at his potential? That's the reason? Or was it because he was self-conscious about his swing and his game and he wanted to change it. So you, you can never really know without asking him directly. I'd like to ask him that question. But I think, um, you know, and Jack changed his swing because his body changed. I think that more likely Brooks is to do what Jack is to do is that as he gets older, if he's still playing in 20 years, which he may not be, then... Um, you know, he's, he's not going to be like Tiger and go ahead and try and reinvent his game every four years um, to try and get that little bit better. Brooks is just going to say, well, I'm already really good, so I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and try and get a little bit better all the time. How many majors and does he win, mate? He, I think it depends on how much he practices. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, good answer. Is it 
seems like when he practices, he wins majors. So it seems like the answer to that question is how many does he want to win? Yeah. You know, um, I, I'm not in the business of predicting numbers, but I think he's at least going to win in a couple more, you know, if he can drum up the motivation. Um, I, I, I think, I think he's a, he has, he's doing something at the moment that uh, a lot of people, and it's really simple, that a lot of people aren't able to do, which is a, a golf shot is just a golf shot for him. It doesn't matter where it is. doesn't matter what it's for. He's reached that, uh, well, it's, it's basically it's golf enlightenment, isn't it? Hmm. We always hit a shot just for what it is, not what it's worth. Um, and he's there right now. He's the Buddha. He's the golf Buddha. <laughs> not he's, a... uh, he's been, yeah, not worrying about the outcome. Can, that's the dr- that's the dream, right? Not not just just hit it. Don't worry, yeah. don't worry about where. It, don't worry about what happens next. Just get the get the mechanics that right. You know, get the ball. Yeah, yeah, it's and awesome. He, yeah, and he does that really well. And uh, I think it's an interesting. I think he's throwing a a, a nice um, spanner in the mix because, um, like I said, you know the. I think it's fair to say that um, we don't, as the public, consuming the media that comes out of the PGA Tour and of the European Tour, we don't get to see behind the curtain. There's a curtain there. So we get to see, we get to hear what we're told. And what the narrative that we are pushed is that the only way to be successful is to work harder than Mm, everyone else. mm. And... That is very much, it comes across in all the guys' speeches, like, oh, I've worked really hard for this and blah, blah, blah. So either Brooks is just that much better than everyone else that he doesn't need to really practice, or um, all of those people may be exaggerating their own self-worth a little bit. So I think it's fair to say that we're not getting the factual um, account of what's what actually goes on in tour players' lives. And and I think if you just believe what you hear, then I, I think you're probably a little bit misguided. So I think it's interesting to see him come out and actually just say, yeah, I don't practice for regular tournaments. Why would I? Whereas all the other guys are always worried about over there, about their image. How does it look for my sponsors and all this kind of stuff? And Booksy's just telling it how it is. And I think that's kind of refreshing. Yeah, no, I, don't, I think um, I think a lot of people would agree, mate. Hey, as is always the case with you, we've wandered here and we've wandered there, and we've gone longer than we have allocated time for. But it's <laughs> but it's ever interesting with you. Um, enjoy the couple of weeks off, um, and we'll park a whole lot of the stuff that we've got here and um, put it in front of you next time we catch up, mate. But thanks for sharing your thoughts. Thanks for being so honest about the. Um, you know, the pace of play stuff, it's a, that was a fascinating insight into somebody who's on the other side of the conversation. We don't hear much from them from an honest perspective, and you've certainly given us that um, on the show today. So um, I'm sure from all of us listening and all of us around this table, we Absolutely. appreciate it, mate. Mm-hmm. Thanks, thanks again for your time. Oh, thanks, guys. I'm happy to be in such great company. You're a good man. Bryden McPherson, <laughs> uh, who knows where he'll be when we next catch up, uh, but we'll definitely catch up with him again soon uh, on Inside the Road. So clear a break, come back, wrap up the show on the other side of this. 
The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and I'm joined by a very special guest. I apologise for any noise in the background, but he's a very, very busy man the day after winning the time-honoured Porter Cup in the United States. Aidan Dodoni, congratulations and welcome to Inside the Ropes. Thanks, Hazy. Appreciate you having me on the show. Ah, no worries, mate. That's a fantastic achievement. You must be absolutely wrapped. Oh, yeah. It, it uh, hasn't sunk in yet, but um, I'm sure when I get back home and, and kind of take a deep breath for a second, it, it, it will. Now, mate, you did it the you did it the hard way. It wasn't sort of a Brooks Kepka cruise down Victory Lane sort of style operation. You uh, were right in the thick of the contest until that. Well, at least the seventy first hole, uh, when things got a bit yes. tense. Yeah, I, I kind of I started three back and and I had a really good front nine and and Kevin, um, who I was playing with, he had a pretty average front nine and and I was a couple up through nine. Um, Picked up a few shots and then then he kind of made a few long birdie putts and, and yeah we we're all kind of tied at nine under hitting down 17 and um, hit a nice shot in there hitting two and um, I was actually the lad I was putting first um, and hold like a 15 footer down the hill and he actually putted next and and three putted so which kind of gave me a bit of a buffer going at 18 luckily. So, mate, that, that's a, a, it's a great uh, example, I reckon, of scoreboard pressure. We talk about it in other sports, of course, all the time, but yep. it, it applies equally to golf, doesn't it? You, you ram that birdie putt in to momentarily at Absolutely, least share yeah. the lead, and it really turns the heat up on him. Yeah, I was kind of hoping I was putting first because it, it kind of felt as though it was match play. I kind of had the feeling it was going to be um, what, myself or Kevin kind of um, up there in the end, so... I was hoping I was putting first, and, and luckily, yeah, I put the pressure on, and yeah, it was good. Now, mate, you're a very honourable young man. I know that very well, but what did, <laughs> you must have sort of given a little inward fist pump when his little par putt. Yeah, I did, actually. I, I, haven't, I, haven't, uh, I haven't done too many fist pumps in, in the last couple of years, but there was a fist pump there on 17 for birdie, so, yeah, there's a, there a small one there. You didn't fist pump when he, he's lipped out, though, did you? What's that, sorry? You didn't fist pump when he's lipped out, though, did you? Oh, no, no, no. It was a bit of an internal one. So. <laughs> now, there, so, then, so then you walk up 18, and, and it's a par three, and I know that you've been playing yeah. there pretty well all week. Uh, you you walk us through that and what, what you were sort of contending with emotionally yep. and how you handled it all. Yeah, I, I kind of played the par threes the best all week, and, and I played the practice room with a guy who was a member there, and he said if you can play the par threes kind of even par the whole week, you're doing pretty well and you'd be up there in the end. And I was actually five or six under for the past threes for the week. Wow. Um, so I was hitting my irons really well and um, I wasn't missing too many fairways, which is kind of good. So I had the confidence that um, that I could hit the green and, and kind of just 
um, get get a par get a par out there and, and win. Um, so yeah, I had a good yardage in there and hit a nice seven iron. It kind of bounced left, and it was right in the thick, the thick stuff. And it wasn't a great lie at all, but I thought just get it on the green and, and get an uphill putt and, and see what happens. So yeah, I can't really remember too much, but yeah, I was pretty nervous. Well, you've handled yourself pretty well considering. I mean, you won the. Am I correct in saying in Tasmania earlier in the year would have been your yep. first your first big win, and then this is a you know yep. it's one of those special titles in the United States. It must have uh, you know yeah. had your heart in your mouth for a couple of minutes. Absolutely, yeah. I can't. I won in a playoff at the Tassie Open, um, so that kind of helped a little bit. That was my first national ranking win, um, and then the week after at Riversdale, I kind of um, played really well and finished second there. And, I kind of took took a few bits and pieces of what I learned the first the, those two weeks there and, and tried to really grind out and and get get that win over there in the US. Um, obviously because how big the Porter Cup is and the rich history it has. So yeah, yeah, there's a few bits and pieces there. That's for sure. So mate, you've been you know without being oh, hopefully you don't think this is unfair. You've been on the you know the the fringes, I suppose, of the Victorian team for quite a while, yep. and, and you mate, you took your chance yep. this year and won when you had the opportunity. Um, yep. But yep. You, you've you've been in the back blocks behind a couple of pretty big amateur Absolutely, names, yeah. at least. Is that is that a fair comment? And how have you sort yeah. of how have you dealt with that? And obviously, you know, now that it's your turn to shine, you, you you're starting to sort of make that opportunity yours. Yeah, I, um, I finished school three years ago, and, and kind of all the good good guys like. Um, Ryan and Brett Coletta and um, even David Michaluzzi were, were kind of the, the main guys um, in the state program. And, and I didn't have a good couple of years there and I was struggling probably when I was 18, 19. And then something clicked last year when all those guys turned pro and probably towards the end of last year, I kind of felt as though the hard work was kind of starting to pay off. and. And then this year I had a good good result at, at the Aussie Amateur. Finished good in the stroke play there, and then kind of brought that momentum and and kind of just felt as though that I belong in yeah in the state program and um, obviously made this the men's state team and and that kind of just cemented my belief that I do belong there and um, yeah hopefully maybe one day get into a program like the Victorian Institute of Sport and VAS so yeah. I think you're making your case pretty well now at the moment, mate. So that's great. Yeah. You, um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> so when you say something clicked, is that something that was mental, or is it in your swing? What happened? Um, yeah, a little bit. A little bit of the swing stuff, just tidying up. Um, I was getting a bit loose with my swing and just tidying that up. But also a lot of course management and and knowing how to play the course. I was just playing really, really dumb golf and um, just playing shots I didn't need to. And um, yeah, I think. I think playing a lot more smarter and, and a little bit more mature on the course kind of helps that one or two shots around, which in effect is is eight shots a tournament. So um, yeah, I think I think it's just basically that the course management side of it and being a bit more mature. You're just sounding like a veteran, mate. So where to from here? I mean, that's a great win. I think it's at the uh, Niagara Falls Country Club. Where to from here? Obviously, you're on yep. your way home now, but what's the plan in yeah. the coming months? Um, so I'll take I'll take three weeks off, and I'll I'll probably so I've got all the Aussie stuff starting up, um, possibly playing Queensland Am, and or uh, I'll start at Mandurah and, and see if I can get into um, a few uh, pro events like New South Wales Open, try and pre-qualify for that and 
and basically just do a whole summer of Aussie events and Marcy Amateurs and um, the Aussie Amateur and we'll see what happens there. So get through to the end of January or February and then assess where you yeah. go from there. Are you still hoping to go pro yeah. or is it sort of something that's not really um, on your radar? Not, not, not probably this year. Um, possibly the end of next year, but I, I feel as I, I need another probably international trip away, at least one, and um, just to see where I'm at again. Um, obviously, it was good getting the win, but yeah, I think I need at least another more, one more year. Have you spoken to your crew, mate? Your family, your coaches? Yeah, yeah, everyone, everyone's kind of trying to get a hold of me, which is which is really a lot different to what I'm used to. But yeah, spoken spoken to my family back home, and um, my coach um, had a chat to him too, Stuart Leong, um, and he, he's he's stoked with me as well. So I can't wait to get back and, and just reassess. He's a good man, Stewie. I mean, he he'd be of all people one yeah. that preach sort of patience and you know keep working at it. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he's really good. I see him. He's the head pro at Metropolitan now, um, and it's good to have him as kind of a home home base where I can go to and and um, just check in with him and and yeah, and he's always there, willing to help. So he's been really good. A lot of good things going on at Metro, mate. Yeah, there's a few good players coming coming. Uh, there's a lot of good players coming out of there, so it's a great place to be. Great club. Well, Aidan Dodoni, congratulations. Uh, continuing a great northern summer for Australian amateur golfers. Um, magnificent. The Porter Cup, uh, it's a great thing to have on your resume. No matter where it goes from here, we're obviously hoping that by next summer over there that you can uh, have a clear path in mind, maybe be on one of these bigger squads. And congratulations. I think you're doing all the right things, mate. Well played. Thanks, Aisy. Appreciate you having me on the show. Speak to you soon. Hayden Dodoni joining us there uh, as we begin our kind of world wrap and sort of tidy up the show. I mean, you, you talk about his ambitions and what's yeah. in front of him. Does he look to you two guys as a player who's got kind of the, the game to make a fist of it as a pro down the track? Um, if you'd asked me that question, and I'm, I really like Aiden. I think he's mm. a great player. If you'd asked me that question 18 months ago, I would have said no if I was, you know, mm. you, you forced me to say but he's coming on in leaps and bounds and he's got that thing as, as we discussed there, when he gets into a situation, he can actually press home and, and make a victory and you don't need to um, have 40 weeks a year, awesome golf to be a great pro, do you? No, no, not at all. You know, no. half a dozen good weeks a year. Yeah. Well, if you can have two on the PGA tour yeah, yeah. in one year, you're set for life. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, is he that good? I don't think he thinks he's that good yet. But I know that he knows that he's still learning. And while he's got that attitude to keep it learning and improving, I, I, you know, who knows where he gets to. So at the other end of the scale, feel free to just bowl up anything here on the run to the wire. David McKenzie, the senior Open Championship. I don't know what Dave – we had Dave on the show um, several months ago. And, Hazy, you might remember. I don't know whether you're on the oh, show. I was, yeah, yeah, I was actually – I don't know whether we can that. remember what he said his biggest, the biggest check he ever banked was. But he finished tie fifth in the senior British Open, and he picked up seventy two thousand nine hundred sixty bucks for finishing. It's his fourth top five finish on a PGA Tour event, in which this is obviously co-sanctioned. Uh, seventy two jumping in uh, is pretty handy. <laughs> That's going to pay a few bills. Good on him. I mean, this is That's awesome. It's a great story. It's a, it's a tremendous story, and. <laughs> That was stinking weather at Royal Lytham and St Anne's. Mm. I mean, that, I don't know if you Blown saw it. Blowing sideways. Oh, oh, yeah. It was brutal. Windy. And, and yeah. it's no surprise to me to see uh, Australian golfers shine when the mm. weather's crap. Mm. 
basically, because <laughs> you're playing. We we, we grew up playing in it. the wind, mm. and then I think that you know that rules out a lot of players. Didn't rule out Bernard Langer. Yeah. <laughs> There's some misgivings yeah. about this, aren't there? Let's well, be honest. I mean, uh, everybody loves and respects Langer. Absolutely. But I don't think we necessarily respect some of the rulings around Bernard Langer at absolutely the moment. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. So I think it was his hundred and was it hundred and fourteenth or something win. It's I mean, ridiculous. It's, it's, an, it's, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. It's mind-boggling, right? Yeah. That's global wins. It's yeah. extraordinary as a pro. Um, you know, you think, what, what did Norman win? Was it eighty something? Hmm. It's about the same yeah. as Tiger, isn't it? Tiger's yeah, in, in the eighty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And you just add another half of that again. Mm. That's that's Bernard Langer. It's unbelievable. But and yet he's got. The Marianas Trench and <laughs> in his chest. A blood in his clot in his chest. <laughs> the hands press so hard into his <laughs> breastplate. Joe's just not so confident about where we're taking this. But is this just defamatory? No. Or no, I don't think it's <laughs> defamatory. <laughs> I mean, the pictures tell a thousand words, you know. Yeah. And I heard some people on the, on social media defending him, saying, you know, oh, that's footage of his practice swing. He practices differently. Bollocks. You don't practice differently to the way you putt if you've won 114 times around the world. So uh, look, it's, um, it, it puts a, we've said this five times on this show. It puts a huge question mark on everything he does because mm. morally it's not right, but by the rules of the golf, the way they're written, which is, which are soft. I'm sorry for Simon Magdalski and his mates, but they're soft <laughs> and the tour has got no, they're not going to kill the golden goose here. So why would they take their best player off the books? No, it's, I know. No, so well, it's... as long as he says, I didn't mean to shove the, End of my putter four inches into my chest. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you call it? The Magdalski Trench. What the, did you call it? The Marianas Trench. <laughs> what is the Marianas Trench? It's the deepest place on the planet Earth. Andy. Is that right? I yeah, didn't know that. Just off the yeah. coast of um, Southeast Asia. Do you know that? No, I've learned something new. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the it's the anti Everest. It's the lowest point of the, mm-hmm. the uh, wealth of knowledge. You are. Uh, yeah, it's um, you know, it, it's question mark, and yeah. Yeah, we we should be celebrating a bloke who's a legend, yep. and we're not because. Oh, look, you want to celebrate. I mean, he has to get the ball from the tee to the position where he's putting. putting. So for 75% of what he does, you laud him. Yep. I mean, he still hits fairways and greens. Like, he's remarkable. Yep. He's an unbelievable golfer. Yep. But this this has been the thing that's dogged his whole career, and he's found a way to just sidestep the <laughs> moral kind of principles that – Joe looks like she's actually. <laughs> no, she, no, she, no, no. I don't want to hear this. I'm not, I'm not part of this. <laughs> no, not at all. Fingers in the ears. Uh, it's up to others to call him out. He's going to keep doing it while he can get away with yeah. it. I, mean, I don't think. Know. I don't think Bernie listens to the show. We've asked him, but I don't think <laughs> oh, look, I love him. He's been one of my favourite players oh, for, no for for forty years. You know, so one of the things he did when we've talked about this before too, when he was playing alongside Jason Day at the Masters, was it three years ago? Mm. And you know, in the third mm. or third round, oh, I think was, it was. Yeah, yeah. And he, you know. The absolute physical beast of Jason Day at the height of his powers, and and Langer schooled him. Mm. I mean, it's unbelievable. Really. It really is. It really. Yeah. Is. So I mean, yeah. we don't want to diminish him as a as an athlete, but my God, that's a dodgy rule. Um, <laughs> anyone I got, else? I got plenty to bring to. Going quickly. Yep. Quickly. Yeah, uh-huh. we'll go on. We'll get a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're on the amateur side of things, which we always wrap up in the in this segment. Um, we've mentioned Aiden, of course, Aiden Dodoni. Um, Blake Windred was second in the Pacific Coast Amateur, um, which, strangely enough, Andy, for a Pacific Coast Amateur, was played in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's odd. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the <laughs> oddest things I can recall in terms of a host city for a coastal event. Uh, Jack Thompson of South Australia. So Blake's obviously from Newcastle, going great guns. Jack Thompson from South Australia, uh, seventh. Connor McKinney from Perth. 
uh, tied for eighth. Carl Phillips tied for tenth. Josh Armstrong tied fifteenth. Geordie Garner tied eighteenth. So really strong, and there were others too. But top twenty performances there That's from the Australian That's boys. Great. I want to touch on the girls. Um, it's almost a coulda, woulda, shoulda for for Grace Kim and Maddie Hinson Tolchard the past week at the US Girls Amateur. Um, Maddie first shot a course record equaling mm. sixty five second day tied Yuka Sasso from the day before finished second in qualifying. Great honour to have your name. They're going to put a plaque up there at Century World in, um, where is it, in uh, Wisconsin. Honouring her, she was pretty chuffed about that. And Great. That's awesome golf. Arguably the best she's played as a youngster. Um, got stitched up at the 19th hole the next day in the round of 64. So she coulda, woulda, shoulda, was pretty upset, but she she shouldn't be. She should be really proud. Great trip to the United States. Grace Kim had an unbelievable thing happen to her uh, during her round of 64 match. Um, she was playing a girl who's a bit of a phenom who had a, a, a caddy provided for her who was being a complete knob uh, to the point of cheating, chit-chatting the um, Grace's caddy even, like trying to get up him and um, groaned when her when his own player, the, the opponent of Grace, missed a short putt, groaned visibly, audibly at her and shoved the flag back in the, in the cup um, and, the, and the girl, to her absolute credit, Told him to bugger off. Um, so oh. sacked, sacked her caddy on the fifth hole. Would you Jeez. believe? Uh, unbelievable things in a U.S. girls junior, <laughs> junior girls, and, and the girl who um, is, as I said, a bit of a phenom. I've forgotten her name right now. I haven't got my notes. I'm terrible. Um, absolutely came and apologised to Grace and said, "I'm really, really sorry. I hope it doesn't put you off and whatever." And Grace, mm. um, to her credit, mm. took it all beautifully as mm. she would, yeah. and and stitched her up and progressed. <laughs> and the next day, in the she she. Pants the opponent in the round of 32 and in the round of 16 was four under uh, and didn't make a bogey and lost on the 21st hole. Oh, jeez. Had a couple of putts to win on the 18th and the 19th holes that she could have, would have, should have, didn't. And the girl who made a bomb from the fringe to stay in it on the 18th for a birdie, like off the 12 metres from off the green, uh, got it on the 21st. So unfortunate there for the two girls, but two great tours of, of the United States for both Grace and Maddie Tolchard. Um, the women's, uh, the Western Amateur is this week on the yep. men's side of things. Then we build up to the US, US. Amateur on the women's and then the week after the men's. So it's well, going to be a big couple get, of weeks. Hopefully we get to see a bit of it. I don't know what the tally schedule is like, but we've generally got a bit of that over here. Whether we're gonna the junior any. was. I caught a, yeah. even a little bit of that down on the peninsula on Saturday afternoon. Mm. Mm. It was um, on Foxtel. Right. So, yeah, there's a little bit going on. Um, Sanctuary Cove shootout. I don't know whether I've abbreviated the name to the point that people who actually were participating in it won't recognise it, but there's something about this. 18 players start. Good field. This is on the the PGA of Australia? Yeah, yeah. 18 players tee off. All together. All all together. And one hole by hole, one player drops out. And there's a mechanism designed to, if everybody has too many, if several players have the same score on a hole, there's a, a on that hole playoff until... And I don't know how long it took to get to the last man standing, but it looked like it was almost sunset when Nick O'Hearn uh, <laughs> prevailed. But I think the last four were O'Hearn, Bland, McLeod and Fraser. So that's a high-quality you know, local contingent. Uh, it was a terrific field of players that gathered for it. Um, I'd love to see this. I hope there's somewhere this was shot and we get to see somewhere a cut-down 30-minute packaged um, coverage of this because, you know, we're always searching for different ways of um, presenting the game. And I feel like this would be a bit of fun. 
That sounds fun. It might go for a long time, but it might. <laughs> but it looks like it might be a bit, a bit of fun to watch. So, <laughs> hopefully, we get get the opportunity to see what this actually looks like. I'd love a license to go play with seventeen friends down down the fairway. I think that'd be that'd, good, that'd be a really interesting exercise. I think it'd, it'd look really really I'm cool. I'm sure I've got that right. I hope I haven't misrepresented how that. But I spoke to Jake McLeod about it on Friday, and I'm pretty sure that's what he said to me. That everyone tees off at the same time, and one by one, hole by hole, somebody drops out. So. Um, I'm sure I've got it right. So good quality field by the sound. No, no, it was a terrific field. Yeah, mm. no, no, high quality Australian field. So, mm. um, Nick O'Hearn. Nick mm. O'Hearn. There you go. Mm. Last man yeah. standing. Oh, uh, speak, speak, yep. uh, I, I, I should have mentioned this when we were discussing Dave McKenzie, but an unbelievable performance from Jeff Nicholas. Are you aware of this? No. So Jeff Nicholas, who played in the Australian All Abilities Championship as part of the Australian Open last yeah, year, yeah, yeah, he's an amputee. Qualified for the senior open. Yeah. That's amazing. It is absolutely That's amazing. Phenomenal. He didn't go so well once the tournament. He missed the cut. Yeah. He made the he made the legitimate That's field from the in the um men's senior open. Just an unbelievable achievement. So well done to Jeff Nicholas. And I and first thing he said, Andy, he rang one of the first things he did, he rang Christian Hamilton, who's our guru, and he he basically said, Hopefully this will help people realise, you know, how how good my disabled Golf colleagues are yeah, mm. golfers with a disability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome. Just yeah. a great yeah. bloke, and mm-hmm. and put, it advances the whole cause so far to hear him talk about you know all abilities players like that. It's just awesome. So yeah. congrats yeah, yeah. to Jeff. Nichols. Well done to him. Um, that it. Look, I've got one. Can I throw yep. one little? Not a curveball, but it's something different that I found that I thought could be pretty interesting. Um, because this it seems to this blows my mind. It's actually a little bit out, well, definitely outside golf, esports. So there oh, was esports crazy. World oh, Cup my God. that I think I saw on the news maybe the night before last. Sixteen-year-old kid won three million dollars playing Fortnite. Playing Fortnite at Flushing Meadows. Uh, yep. So he he's he's pocketed more than Brooks Kepka. Wow. If you if you want to do yep. in golfing com- comparative terms. And then I think Co took away six hundred thousand in the the Evian Championship. So I don't know. I can't get my head around watching people play esports yeah. or whatever it may be. But it's huge. That is. And insane. when you put it like we, golf's perceived as quite a you know uh, rich and glamorous sort of sport, um, and you put it into that sort of perspective, I just sort of blew my mind. Yeah. Good luck telling the kid as a parent to get off the computer. Oh, shut <laughs> yeah. up, Dad. Do you know what I'm doing? Get outside million. and hit, kick the footy. Why? Yeah. yeah. You know? I know. It's, <laughs> it's scary. Yeah, no, that's madness. <laughs> um, good work, you two. Uh, well done, Hazy. Thanks, Joe, for being here again. We'll see you soon. Thanks to Bryden. Thanks to Aiden for being part of the show. Thank you for tuning in again. This has been Inside the Ropes, episode 113. When is this runaway train going to stop? <laughs> uh, I don't think it will now. Uh, we'll be back again next week to do it all again, folks.